a busy old day on the radio and lots to hear. This is Playback Daily. I'm Carol Moran and here's what you might have missed. Uh, you write, I couldn't drink alcohol. I still had no appetite for food. I was skinny and miserable and bald. I couldn't sleep. I found walking hard. I had only one ball, but there was really nothing to complain about. <laughs> I suppose, I suppose I <laughs> The attention span of people on social media apps has gotten very, very small. So you need to catch people's attention within the first second. Shoot Canada geese out of the sky. You can shoot grey leg geese. Yeah. You can shoot the, mean, the ruddy duck. Yeah. And as for, as for the poor hare, it's open yeah. season. And we'll start in the morning on Today with Philip Badger Hayes, laureate for Irish fiction, Colm Tobin. Now here's a treat for you. Colm Tobin, the current laureate for Irish fiction, joins me in studio. Good morning, Colm. How are you? Good. We're going to talk about the laureate projects in a moment, but I want to talk first about your new book, uh, a collection of essays, A Guest at the Feast. It was Kind of like, I thought, uh, having a bit of a Christmas selection box that you can rummage around in with your eyes closed. You don't know what you're going to get, but it was all full of chocolatey goodness, whatever I did open the book on. Yeah, it was a sort of effort at a greatest hits. So I just, I just, I mean, I just, <laughs> just in time I for just Christmas, you all said that I thought might sort of, you know, add to the general joy of the nation in the Christmas season. And to that end... I found myself having serious misgivings, laughing out loud, not just once, but three times at the very first essay in the book, because it was about your joust with testicular cancer. Um, (laughs) Was I meant to laugh or am I I being an awful SH1T? Look, I I promised during chemo that I will not write, I hate those books, you know, my battle against cancer. And I will not write one. But about six months later, I found myself, um, I mean, I got a first sentence in my head and it wouldn't go away and I wrote it down. You'll see it's still there. And it's called It All Started With My Balls. And once I wrote that, I had a sort of tone. And, and it was, I, you know, the big thing was not to do my battle or not to do my pit, you know, feel really sorry for me because I went through all this. But anyone who's been through chemo knows that you really, no one else who hasn't been through it can guess what it is you're suffering. And the thing is, if you can't make that funny, then, then you know, go and get a day job, you know, get a proper job because, um, to tr- you, see, you, you see, there's no need to make it sad because people know it's sad. Well, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't have thought about going mining for comedy gold and this, but just by way of example, so people know what we're talking about, uh, you write, I couldn't drink alcohol. I still had no appetite for food. I was skinny and miserable and bald. I couldn't sleep. I found walking hard. I had only one ball, but there was really nothing to complain about. <laughs> I suppose, I suppose, I, I suppose what I mean is that I wasn't really in fierce pain. You know, there wasn't, like I wasn't, the ambulance wasn't coming. But, you know, yeah, I just, I just tried to find a way of describing the whole business um, without, you know, try, without moaning too much, you know. And, no, you uh, don't. And you write about it in an almost mesmerising kind of way. Were you surprised when you read back over that? Piece yeah, there's one that that's bit what you where, managed to achieve. Well, there's one bit where there really is terrible pain where an injection I've had gets into the marrow and I feel that a whole part of my pelvis is going to actually burst. This is, mm. this is and mm. um, I suddenly came up with the sentence. <laughs> I thought, this was my second laugh out loud. I, 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 I thought I was going to have a baby. <laughs> I thought, you can't write that. I mean, you're a guy like nowadays. 
gays, you know, men like stop. It's not funny anyway. I thought, like, I thought I was going to have a baby, so I thought. Honestly, it felt like there was something in me that was. Yeah. Well, if the women of Ireland who have given birth would like to take issue with Colm Tobin, can they text us now on five one double five one? He is here to apologise. For that line, if you want but to But look, make it's a not piece funny, and it's it's a long piece, and it's an attempt to describe what it's like to go through this, and you know the the the, the, the whole business of the nurses, the chemo nurses, who are so competent, so efficient, so good, and you get sort of used to the ritual of going in, and they, they, one nurse called it the juice. Of course, I love words like that. You know, now um, the, tomorrow at eleven, we're going to do the juice, meaning the chemo. And uh, and there's a ritual, like they make sure they don't give you the wrong, you're not the right, you're not the wrong person. So they call out your name and you have to say your name to be sh- absolutely sure you're you. Because, I mean, there could be someone in the next room. No, I'm and John they want Smith. To give you, you know, to give yes. her your chemo. Do you know what you didn't deal with in this, though, or at least not particularly extensively? What I imagine must have been the big worry for you in this, that if you are getting morphine, uh, and it is doing what morphine does to your brain, that for somebody who has such a rich interior life and there's so much going on upstairs, to f- be feeling basically nothing, I mean, to be, you know, flatlining through life must have been quite worrying. Yeah, I mean, there, you see, you look everything up on the internet. I mean, that's, and it's really wrong because you get nowhere with it. Yeah. And I found a thing called chemo brain. I thought, oh my God, chemo brain is where afterwards, after the chemo, that you could be suffering from this foggy brain. So, of course, I said immediately to the oncologist, you know, what about chemo brain? And they're so good. They look at you really concerned. Could this guy stop? You've been Googling, up on the internet? Column. Could this guy stop? You know? <laughs> and he said, well, you know, that could happen to some people. And they, they talk very politely to you. But I suppose that was the biggest worry was not what was happening at the time, but the long-term thing that, that it would do any, any damage. Okay. And then Philip moved on to an essay about Colm's time as editor of McGill magazine. A fascinating essay. One of the things that struck me about it is that uh, you have a very high regard for our former colleague, Vincent Brown, and perhaps you uh, were somewhat rueful uh, or missing, noting the absence of agent provocateur journalists from Irish public life. Yeah, I think this might have happened when the journalism became professionalised, you know, when, when you went and did a postgraduate degree in journalism. But I'm talking about a time when you had people like um, Jean Kerrigan, you had Eamon McCann, you had people coming into journalism really out of activism, out of some idea that, that the world had to be changed, but they wrote in a certain style. And I suppose I came in in the same way. I never did a degree in journalism. Fintan O'Toole didn't, Mary Raffrey didn't. All the people I worked with, you know, didn't have that extra degree. I wonder if that extra degree has made people really competent and, and also less sharp, less hungry and less eccentric. You were, he was Vincent Brown, I mean, not afraid to run down to the courts uh, on issues of journalistic principle and to try and change Irish society and the law through journalism and using the courts. That just doesn't happen now. I mean, Vincent was, a, and still is, I suppose, an idealist in, in the sense that he really believed that the purpose of journalism was to hold people in power to account. And he also believed that if it was a possibility of using the Supreme Court in Ireland for the purposes of liberalisation of, say, the libel laws or the general laws for press freedom, then it was the McGill should do this even though we might lose. 
And I was really uneasy because I saw the amount of money we could lose. But it was fun to watch him. I mean, he really, his, he, he, he lit up. There, there's an inner lawyer in him too. You know, there's an inner, he, he loved the idea. Not even of an, an inner lawyer, an actual court. lawyer. Didn't he go to the bar at one stage? Oh, oh, oh he did, yeah. But, but the, I mean, the, what happened in the court in the end was, of course, we were going to win. And our, our barrister just sat down. He had infinite amounts of argument from, um, for American precedents that Vincent had done the research for. But he didn't use them in the end because we were going to win. And it was fun winning, you know, and we put a big, we put an ad in the Irish Times for the, for the, for the article that was going to be banned by, by permission of the Supreme Court. I'd say they loved that. And yeah, that, that, was, that was, that was good. cheeky. That was good. At the time. That was Vincent's idea, but, by the way. <laughs> of course it was. Is that cheekiness missing from Irish journalism now? Um, oh, well, I think, yeah, that, that um, we don't have the magazines anymore. And so we don't tend to have very much long form journalism. I mean, in other words, if someone said to you now, you know, could you for next, Vince was always saying, what, what are you going to do next summer? And all of us will be working on long term things. And the long term thing, no one ever said, keep it short. I mean, the thing was to make it into a big read so that it, it might really matter. And so, yeah, yeah, ironically, you, you don't you've, got, have, you've got four minutes left. You don't have any more. <laughs> <laughs> the last story then, again, for something completely different. Alone in Venice. Tell me about that. Look, um, Venice closed for the pandemic. So it only had its own people who are very few now. So all the things everyone complains about, the crowds were gone. But things were open. The city the, where I mean, the, the term church, quarantine the was invented. So I, I got in. It was a week where you could get in if you, you know, did all the tests and, and you, you could actually fly there and you had to do a test when you arrived. But I got into Venice and I spent time there on my own um, wandering around in, in this empty, emptied out city. And it was, uh, it was a fascinating time. Um, do you know what is the thing that most strikes me or most impresses itself upon me is looking through the selection of essays in this book is the privileged doors that your talent as a writer has opened for you. London Review of Books is where most of these have been published, but also in The New Yorker. I mean, so many journalists who would only ever dream of getting an editor at The New Yorker to answer their letters at their email. Dublin Review and so on. Are you conscious of the privilege that your talent has brought you? Yeah, but you're only as good as your last piece. You know, in other words, you could, you could, you could spend your life being conscious of that and wandering around with your head in the air. But oddly enough, if your next piece isn't good... No one's going to publish it. I mean, I mean, the, 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 these papers, the London Review books and the New Yorker just and the Dublin Review w- wouldn't use a piece, you know, so that you've mm. got to be very careful that the next piece is going to be you OK. You still have that anxiety. Well, if then, you don't do have you? it, you're, you're finished. I mean, that's the end of you. I mean, so what, what, what's your relationship with writing then? Do you enjoy the process or is it just absolute murder getting through it? Uh, the absolute murder thing is exaggerated. Writers are always going on about how much they suffer. I mean, this is just absurd. Uh, you know, it's a pure <laughs> privilege. And your main thing to do is to finish it. Just say, I am going to finish this piece and just get on with your work. But I think going on about suffering is really, I mean, look, chemo, anyone who's been through chemo knows that's suffering. Writing, that's not suffering. And Colm also wrote about composer Frederick May. Frederick May was a composer. He wrote a string quartet in 1936 in Vienna, came back to Ireland, was suffering from deafness, alcoholism. He just generally didn't fit in into the world of, of, you know, Irish cultural life in the 40s and 50s. And I bumped into him by accident in the 70s when he's the, the first recording of the quartet 40 years later had come out. So, so on Sunday in Galway, um, the, the, um, the um, contemporary quartet is going to play um, in the town hall and it's free. 
um, the last movement, the last beautiful movement, I mean, utterly beautiful of his string quartet. Let's have a listen. harsh glare of Studio 10's fluorescent lights, a non-poetic kind of background, I could see for a moment you were transported there. No, it's absolutely beautiful. I'm doing a lecture called A Life in Music where I'm just going to talk about concerts I went to, singers I knew, and um, it's under the laureate. What was the deal with this piece of music? Because although he wrote it a long time before you met him, he wanted you to listen to this piece in particular. Yeah, because this is this is his great opus. I mean, this is the thing that that he wrote as a young man. He never really wrote anything as complete again. He wrote some songs, but uh, we're also going to have at the concert. We're going to have. Irlo Linord and Mairead and Trina Nigonel. So, you know, in other words, I'm going to bring on people whose work I love, whose work, whose music I've been listening to all my life and try and talk about what that's meant. But the May thing, it, there was a loneliness about him, you know. In other words, you can just imagine you wrote something so perfect in your 20s and now 40 years later it's just coming for the first time. Uh, so, so there was a plaintive, there's something plaintive in the music, of course, but there's some, there was something plaintive about him as a person. Colm Tobin from Today with Philip Boucher-Hayes. And on the Ryan Tuberty Show, Gen Z, social platforms and the new way to relate were under the microscope when Ryan spoke to social media expert Lily Rafferty. So you came to a lot of prominence uh, not too long ago, courtesy of what you were doing uh, with Ryanair. Would you tell people what you were doing with Ryanair? Okay, so basically I spent a year working on the Reiner social media team and sort of my priority was growing their TikTok account. So I was creating a lot of videos and a lot of them seemed to go quite viral. So I was helping grow their TikTok account and grow a following, yeah. Yes, and the sort of things you were doing, because Reiner are known in in ye olde days Mm -hmm. of like newsprint and and the like of having controversial ads. And then somebody like you, very young person comes Mm -hmm. in and says, OK, don't mind the newsprint for a moment. Uh, that's Jurassic stuff. We'll show you what, where you need to be. That is to say, on uh, the likes of TikTok. So what were you doing to get the attention to grow the followers to move the whole story social media wise on? Mm-hmm. Basically, when I joined, the account already had somewhat of a following. So I was building off of that and using sort of self-deprecating content and humour and sort of playing into TikTok and Gen Z to make content that people loved and basically just using humour to make funny videos that were entertaining for people to watch. I'm curious, what does constitute (laughs) self-deprecating humour for Ryanair? Basically, Ryanair are great for, you know, flights and there's always going to be negativity and negative comments. So playing into that and using sort of these hated comments through TikTok and sort of playing into that and just 
taking it is basically what we would do. As um, in take the take the grief, yeah, take, take the shade. It. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, you know, there might be a few crumbs on your seat, but you got that seat for nine ninety nine. <laughs> so you just have to take it. Okay. Yeah. So you're you're owning the the kind of the uh the, the, the mockery of Ryanair. People exactly. saying that, you know, yeah. the, the the service might be this and the thing might be that. But look, let's face it, as you say, you paid a tenner for your ticket. Exactly. Stop, stop giving out. Yeah. And how did uh, people take that? Uh, users and, and uh, you people know, loved it. I think seeing a big brand like Ryanair on TikTok and them sort of using humour and joking around. I think people love to see a funny side to a brand. Uh, so that's why a lot of the videos did quite well. What's what's Gen Z? Would you say? How would you describe Gen them? Z? What age group and and what's 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 their vibe? I'd say Gen Z is between the age of maybe ten to twenty six, right. and it's quite chaotic. You know, it's it's a little bit crazy. We have quite an interesting sense of humor. It's quite fast paced. Especially, I should point out you're a member of Gen yes, Z. I yes, I am. Yes, I yes. am Gen Z. Yeah. Go on. So you're chaotic. I'm really interested in your in your breakdown of this. Because yeah, if you were to go on TikTok just for maybe ten minutes and scroll, you would see it's a little bit chaotic, but it's it's just fun. We're all about having fun um, and just using humor to our advantage. Yeah. Yeah, I think they. I think chaotic is is a great word, but also caring. I think Gen Z are really caring. Yeah. There's an amazing community on TikTok. It's it's a really great place to be. Okay, let's. There's so many places to go. Uh, so that's Gen Z. Yeah. Um, are you proud to be? I am very Gen proud. Z- yes. Zer. Gen Z. <laughs> I mean, obviously, because we're saying Z because it's an American. Gen Z. It's American. But if I said yeah. Gen Z, let's talk about the 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 breakdown again uh-huh. of communication between Old Man River here and next generation here in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, if if somebody says to you Gen Z, do you do you like spit your coffee out laughing no, at them, or no, do you because no. you're like, or do you say, oh, that's so cute, old man? Like, <laughs> what, like what, how do you how do you take it? I would take it anyway. You can pronounce it any way you want. Well, no, <laughs> no well, you... the message is getting across to us. We we know what you're trying to say, but you definitely know that somebody's not in Gen Z if they say Gen Z. <laughs> Perhaps. You're perhaps. Just not, you just don't I, I want to be ages. Yeah. Yeah, we can't so. be ages. No, can't get cancelled. <laughs> and we have to talk about yeah, that too. Yeah, cancel culture is very real. It is? Yeah. <laughs> it is real. Okay. Uh, and again, a dif- dictionary definition as much as you can, Lily, of TikTok. What is it? TikTok is a social media platform and a place for people to create content and post videos. Yeah, so there's lots of communities on there. Seems to be a lot of fun on there. It is. You yeah. like reading, right? Yes. So on TikTok, you'd be able to find brand, like different TikTok sort of sections. So you could find book talk. So if you oh, were to I, go, yeah, even, yeah. Even I. Even you even could I, find Lee, a niche. I found it one day by accident <laughs> yes. on the internet. Book so, talk. So yeah, there's book talk on TikTok yeah. where you can find book recommendations and a whole community. And there's lots of niches on TikTok like that. And Lily spoke about her tribe on social media. Mine would be brand talk. So brands on TikTok. Such as? Such as um, Ryanair or Duolingo and all these brands like Wendy's, Clark's, Marks and Spencer's. What are you looking at when you see, are you just like seeing what the competition are up to? Yeah, I think it's a huge deal now for brands to be on TikTok and everyone's sort of jumping on that bandwagon. So brands are trying to stay relevant and have these TikTok accounts. So it's always really interesting to see what different brands will do. And how they're doing it. Yeah. So the key to it is, because you're not with Ryanair anymore, isn't that right? So just in case people think there's a big plug, it's not. Uh, We're just trying to get a a handle on what the purpose of TikTok is and and Mm -hmm. social media in the the modern era, if you like. Yeah. 
they need somebody like you, somebody under 25, yeah. really, to understand it. Like when I'm out and about, for example, in, in this, and this is the caveman, and somebody says, can I have a photograph? And I'll say, of course. Yeah, and selfie. Then a se- well, yeah, it could be a selfie. Or, or, or somebody will stand around and say, yeah. oh, will somebody take this picture? And I always say, please ask a child to take the picture. Mm-hmm. Because anyone in They'll and around get my... your angles. Oh, yeah, They are the worst. Adults, <laughs> quote unquote, are the worst people to take a photograph. I'm always ask. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What happens? What, what, what happens to people when they take a photograph? What, or to me and to I us? I think younger people just know that to get a good photograph, you need to get someone's good angle and you need to take like a hundred photographs. So yeah, always get a younger person to take your photo. Yeah. yeah. No, or I'll do it. And then they start saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm recording your face. And, you know, and everything, <laughs> Taking, pressing yeah, every wrong photo. Butt, shaky hand, you know, and this just, as I say, find, Blurry, yeah. find a kid or, or, or yeah. a slightly older person to take the picture. That's That's one thing. So they need somebody like you to come in and say, right, all you mm-hmm. people, all you ancient people over 30, just stand aside from the <laughs> machine, from the phone. Let, let me let me at this. What do you do? Come into a room with us and, okay. and tell me what, for example, I mean, you've we've just met. Yeah. How would how would you TikTok me up or this up or, you know? Oh, you could make a TikTok out of anything. It's important, I think, to know what your audience would like and sort of build on that. So what your audience might enjoy seeing from you and that kind of content, but playing into trends, trends and like are a huge part of going viral on TikTok and the audio and sort of all that plays into, you know, getting views and going viral on what's, TikTok. What's on trend at the moment so, on TikTok? The trends change pretty much every yeah, day. That's, I was wondering, every how do you day, keep up? Yeah, every day or every week. But you don't even have to go into the trends. You could use a trending audio and just sort of post whatever you like, really. Like you could post anything and it could go viral on TikTok. It's a little bit of luck and that plays into it. Yeah, yeah. like people went mad for Louis Theroux doing, mm, doing the lip yeah. sync to, or, or no, he wasn't lip syncing. Was he, he had was, a little song. A rap of some yeah, sort. Yeah, he had a rap. Yeah, that went that went really viral because anyone could just lip sync to the audio. So like, for example, you could have done a lip sync to it and it probably would have done really well on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. We've done, I've done a few TikToks. But by, by, yeah. We have young people here as well. Oh, uh, yes. And I, you saw me using air quotes. Um, but uh, and they do a little bit of TikToking uh, for us, you say, on the late, late particularly. Yes, I've seen it. You yeah. know, like they, they, they've put a, a creature from the nightmare realm in my mm. dressing room last week. Yes, I saw that. Very scary. Terrifying yeah. experience. Now that was jump a key- scare. Yeah. Okay. Is that what that was? Yeah. I mean, a bit of a jump scare. And and uh, it became a thing, obviously. And mm-hmm. was that good? Yes. Did you yes. approve of that? I did. I did approve. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Video content is really important on any platform. Okay. I'll, I'll take note for that. For JJ is our guy. So okay, I'll, he'll yeah. be, I'm so glad you've endorsed his, okay. his, his, his hard work. <laughs> yes. Um, you said you mentioned trending audio. Is that yes. is that music and uh, pieces of um you know, clips from a movie or... Yeah, it could be mean? anything. Um, Like people will take audios from TV shows like the Kardashians and people will then lip sync it. Or it could be someone releases a new song and it happens to go viral because people share it on TikTok. Yeah. So people can build their career- careers from starting on TikTok by like playing their song and it goes viral. I've seen that a lot on TikTok. But you, yeah, yeah, an audio could be anything. So Ryan wondered if Lily watches actual TV. Do you watch television? I uh, do. Do you watch a television screen? I do. do I you? do. I and, know. Would surprising. you be considered old school to be doing that? Because I, I, I'm just curious do, how people watch. Consume. See, now people will watch TV, but they'll also be scrolling on their phones. So 
I would say I do watch TV, but I might also be scrolling on TikTok how at the same your, time. How do you get your news? Through my phone. And what sort of news companies are? I would say following people um, on Instagram or Twitter. Twitter is a great place to find news. And are you following journalists or are you following people who you think might know? Just about following news? multiple different people. Yeah, like Sky News, anyone like that. TikTok or Instagram or um, Twitter? They are also on TikTok now. I have seen yeah. Sky News and people like that. Is that yeah. happening, do you think, a shift from Twitter to Instagram to TikTok and like literally a, yeah, a movement? Yeah, I think every company is trying to keep up and they know that, you know, last year TikTok was the most yeah. downloaded app in the app store. So they know that there are so many like viewers on TikTok now. So I have seen, you know, brands and people like Sky News jumping onto TikTok because they know that they can reach a wider audience there. Is Twitter for old people, Lily? No. It's, it's for all ages. Tw- yeah, I think every social media platform is for people of any age. Yeah. Okay, and what do you think of Twitter? Twitter is a scary place. <laughs> Why? It's just such a large app and... Um, people can voice their opinion in any way they want, which is a great thing, but um, it's a very fast-paced app and, yeah, there's lots of communities on there. I, I heard somebody saying it's it's like the town square. I I, I, dis- <laughs> I disagree with that. I think it's like the stocks in the town square where you put your hands in and get thrown, uh, mm. tomatoes thrown at yeah, you. Yeah. It's very loud, very chaotic place. Very chaotic. And, and it increasingly it's small group I think of of uh, you know people who are I think it is media people mm-hmm. and it is uh, uh, politics politicians yeah, yeah. and and the people who are interested in media and politicians I think it's kind of possibly shrinking in that way that it's same people talking and, and a lot of other types of people that is to say largely ordinary and normal people are mm-hmm. arguably are moving mm-hmm. on to different platforms yeah I think other platforms are a little more joyful Twitter can get a bit negative Beautifully understated uh, by you, um, I because uh, certainly Instagram, which is where I am now, um, is I find lovely. Yeah, um, yeah. Very pleasant. People yeah. are lovely on it. It's aesthetically pleasing, and mm-hmm. um, there's no aggro. And if there is, you just quietly show them the door. Yeah. And and off you go. I mean, did you have a, a look at my Instagram? I did have a look at your Instagram. And, of and course. How, how was my game? I think your Instagram is brilliant. It's very authentic. You don't have to say that. No, it's very authentic to you. When I looked at it, I thought, okay, you know. He's just posting whatever he wants. It's very authentic to you. I think people just want to see, you know, a little bit about behind the scenes of your life. Uh, and that's what Instagram's about. It's it's not too polished. That's right. Yeah. Do you think it's real sort of dad Instagram? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 100%. I, I had a film. Yeah. You don't have to be so emphatic. It's not a bad thing. It's not a what bad does it, thing. What, what does that even mean? It's just the layout, I would say, of the photographs or... But you have highlights and stories, so that's a great thing. I I had to ask somebody how to do that. Okay. Um, but okay. uh, you didn't have to admit that. <laughs> oh no, I'm, I'm, it, it's back to the authenticity. I yeah. mean, I, but but yeah, they are. It is very much uh, un, unfiltered, actually, for the mm-hmm. most part. But people um, love that. I, yeah, it's great to see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think you're complimenting me. But I'm not sure. No, it is. 100%. I'm uncomfortable with with my desire to be complimented. That's <laughs> <laughs> the story of my life. Okay, what about uh, some texts that are coming in? Um, why are all TikTok videos so fast? Now you're on RT okay. Radio One, so yes. you can expect a question like yes, that. Yes, of course. Um, by people like me. Do you want to answer that? Why are the videos so fast? <laughs> Basically, a lot of people on TikTok are between the ages of maybe 13 and 30. So. 
the attention span of people on social media apps has gotten very, very small. So you need to catch people's attention within the first second or half a second. That's fast. Literally, you need to catch people's attention in half a second or they will scroll. If a video is boring, they will scroll. So you need to make sure the first part of your video catches people in and is, you know, intriguing. So that's why videos are so short. No one has the attention span you know, if, if you want to lo- watch a long video, you'll go to YouTube and sit down and watch a 10 minute YouTube video. And make an appointment. Almost. Yeah. yeah. But people go to TikTok to sort of have their brain stimulated and just sort of scroll and see these quick Gosh, videos. It's yeah. Relentless, you know. yeah. Lady Rafferty on The Ryan Tuberty Show. And on today with Philip Badger Hayes, what in the world is happening to our eyeballs? An epidemic of short-sightedness. Screen time and reading are contributing to an increase in cases of short-sightedness across the developed world. It is estimated that there will be 5 billion short-sighted people in the world by 2050. With information on how to prevent the impairment, a fighting blindness conference is taking place this weekend at the Radisson Blue Royal Hotel in Golden Lane in Dublin with a family engagement day on Saturday. And one of the experts and speakers at the event, Dr Emma Dignan, a consultant ophthalmologist at the Royal Victoria Eye Pioneer Hospital in Dublin, joins me on the line now. Good morning to you, Dr. Dygdon. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, just how big a problem is this? Do we not just all five billion of us go and get eyeglasses and make you rich in the process? Well, um, I think epidemic, you know, people are nervous when they hear that term. And certainly this is an epidemic, mostly of needing glasses. So as you say, obviously, there's a lifetime cost involved in glasses, but most people, that'll be the extent of the problem for them. Um, a small proportion, but it is can be up to 15% of people by the time they reach their late teens, um, develop what we call high myopia. So if the number in your glasses is over about six, um, then you're at risk of a lot of other eye diseases, such as early cataract, glaucoma, and retinal problems like retinal detachment. So while for the majority of people, yes, it will just be about getting glasses, um, for a, for a minority, um, it could lead to blindness. So it is obviously a really important problem across the world. Okay. And as a cause of the epidemic, how much further than screens and phones and laptops and t- tablets do we need to look for a culprit? Um, well, I mean, this is something that's been on the radar of researchers for a long time. And because these are sometimes nebulous concepts, it's hard to pin down, but we are very confident that it's related to less outdoor time, more screen time, more reading. It's not just screens, reading books as well. Basically using your near vision, you know, um, focusing on something up close contributes to the progression of myopia or short-sightedness. Short-sightedness is just having a large eyeball. So that's why gets worse from the ages of about 5 to 15 because your eyeball is still growing. And the bigger it becomes, the more at risk you are for blindness in the future. Tell me about the 2020-20 rule if we want to get straight into remedies. Yeah, so this is something very simple that can be practised. And obviously it has um, an American derivation because of the feet. But so it's every 20 minutes, if you're doing close-up work, and this is for children and adults really, um, it's to every 20 minutes, take a break for 20 seconds and focus something, focus on something 20 feet in the distance. So look out the window or something like that, because it's using your near vision and kind of taking your eyes out of that locked position, looking at something up close. And we're hoping that'll, you know, slow things down. 
and also it helps with you know tired eyes, dry eyes, all these things. It's okay. just a good habit to have. Every 20 minutes, look at something 20 feet away for 20 seconds. Exactly. How important is the quality of light to the degeneration of our eyesight? Yeah, so something that, um, you know, we'd be advising people to do with regard to their children is to ensure you use good quality um, out, outdoor light, you know, natural light as much as possible. So if they're doing their homework, homework, to do it in a window close to the natural light and avoiding LED bulbs. You know, I know it gets harder during the winter, but um, we think outdoor light is less of a contributor. And then they're more likely to look out the window and this kind of thing. But it's the best, the best you can get without being outdoors. And Philip asked Emma what light bulbs she prefers. Uh, I think the main message is to avoid LED bulbs. You know, the it's hard to almost avoid LED bulbs in the shops mm. nowadays, but the, you know, the usual tungsten or incandescent bulbs is probably the way to go. You know, only only with regard to these children who still have growing eyeballs. I think for people, you know, for whom that period is over, I don't think it's so relevant. How ironic. Saving the planet means losing our eyesight. What is it about LED light that is so bad for us? Uh, we're not quite sure why that happens, you know, but it's just something that's been remarked upon. And it's crazy, you know, even I was just looking at myself about COVID because there has been questions over whether COVID has increased um, levels of myopia. And certainly there was one study in Hong Kong which has showed a, um, a two and a half fold increase in myopia in children since the beginning of COVID and presumably related to more people being indoors, related to lockdowns and all these things. So it's something that parents have to focus on. OK, and not that COVID is a vascular condition and that it could actually be no. doing something no. behind the eyeball through the eyeball, no? You can't say that for certain, but I don't think that that is the theory. Uh, and if, because we are you're focusing here on that 5 to 15 year old group, uh, if you do see eyesight deteriorating in that age group, what are the treatments that are available for children? Yeah, well, you might say, how will you know? And usually it's either a teacher or, um, you know, they have the junior infant school screenings. That may be when it's picked up and they have difficult seeing in the distance, so the board. And then at the moment, you know, obviously this is, is an area of huge research study. Um, if there is myopia and it's increasing quickly, you can go to a pediatric ophthalmologist. And some of the things that may be proposed are, number one, there's drops. Now, they're not licensed yet and there's huge amounts. There's a lot of studies going on around the world in order to to, um, you know, ensure safety and efficacy. And I think that will be licensed in the future. So atropine drops is one uh, possibility. And I know people are using those in practice. And then another promising thing, which is obviously a non-drug um, possibility, and, you know, that might be favoured amongst parents, um, is special types of lenses and glasses. So there's there's a lot of glasses around and lenses where they're trying to have an area where you can see well, which is obviously the main point of glasses, but that won't help stop the progression of short-sightedness, big eyeballs. So there's an area you can see well in the middle and then there may be rings around that of a defocusing area, which you won't notice, but the retina, um, it focuses the image right in front of the retina. So it, it, it's a, it's a, the, it prevents the eyeball from getting bigger using that defocused area. Very interesting. I had no idea. Go back to the drops, though, for a second. Is that not just treating a symptom? There is another remedy, isn't there, for getting the, the glands to secrete the mucus that keeps the eyeball moist? Um, so that's 
to, for dry eye, is it? For, yes. To make the eye moist. Um, well, these drops are totally different from that. They're atropine drops. And actually, the only time we used them in clinical practice before this was to dilate the pupil. Okay. But we used a much stronger concentration. That would be 1% atropine. And these are 0.01% atropine. So they almost have no side effects. They can make the um, pupil a tiny bit bigger, you know, the black bit in the centre of your eye. But that's why we give them at night generally. And um, and they slightly defocus the vision in a similar concept and um, prevent progression. Now, something that will have to be ironed out is that some people have had a rebound effect whereby you stop them and then the myopia continues, the eyeball continues to grow again. So it's something that has to be ironed out. But given the size of the problem worldwide, you know, it's, there's a lot of research ongoing and I think there'll be a lot more information about it coming to us in the next couple of years. So what should we be aware of when it comes to myopia? Well, I suppose from the point of view of myopia, if you have high myopia or any sort of myopia, you're more at risk of retinal tears and retinal detachments. That's when the lining of the eye can come off. And because it's the light sensing part of the eye can cause blindness. So if you ever have, you know, the little floaters you get in your eyes, mm. a little bit of those at baseline that you're kind of familiar with is fine. But if you get a new waterfall of those that you've never seen before, flashes of light in the eye, like a camera going off in the room, but there's no flash, um, in the room, you know, it's inside your eyeball. And then obviously blurred vision that doesn't go away over the course of a day or so. Um, you know, so that's something that needs to be seen within a day or two. So the best thing to do is ring up the hospital. Um, if you're near the eye near hospital, it'd be to ring up the emergency department and they'll make you an appointment and to get that checked out. It's not something that should be ignored. Um, and that's for, that goes for everybody in general, not just myopic people get that, but the chance of it happening is higher if you're myopic. Okay. Um, and then obviously, if you have a red eye and it's painful or any loss of vision, that's that's the case where you go in. So, you know, a lot of red eyes are just related to a viral infection might go away after a couple of days without treatment. But if you have loss of vision in the eye or it's painful, those are warning signs that it needs to be checked out urgently. Dr. Emma Dignan, consultant ophthalmologist at the Royal Victoria Eye and Ear Hospital in Dublin from Today with Philip Boucher Hayes. And in the afternoon, the live line was dominated by the issue of shooting season. We've covered avian flu here, the worry of it, about six weeks ago when people were finding dead birds on various beaches around the country. We were told there was generally nothing to worry about. But as you know, as of from next Monday, all the chickens, hens, turkeys that are currently outdoors, regardless of the size of the flock, have to be brought indoors because of the worry about avian flu. Now, Declan O'Donoghue has contacted us and Declan notes uh, that as and from Tuesday, two days ago, shooting season has opened again for certain uh, species of birds. Um, also, by the way, the, the shooting season opened for uh, fallow female and antlerless deer, but already seek a female and antlerless deer. Um, that that goes on to February. The red male, he's you're allowed to shoot him since the first of September until New Year's Eve. The red female from Tuesday until uh, the end of February, St Bridget's Day. Uh, the Sika male from the first of September to the thirty first of December. And by the way, an antlerless deer, just for you, uh, your the non-hunting fraternity out there, an antlerless deer will be construed as including any male deer without antlers of less than one year, i.e. a calf. So you can shoot Bambi. You can shoot a baby deer in Ireland legally. 
uh, you have to get a license, but you can shoot a baby deer uh, legally in Ireland of less than one year. Now, Declan O'Donoghue, this is we're now in the middle of shooting season. You contacted us. Um, what, why, Declan? Why? Hello, Joe. Yeah, I did um, at the end of October. No, there's been a lot of stuff happened since. But um, and then we've had the avian flu thing, which is scary, and I yeah. didn't know that thing about the deers. But it's just that from the first of November, uh, and in some cases from the end of August, um, the shooting season starts, and some of the bird species that are allowed to be shot uh, are, like for instance, woodcock and snipe. Now these particular birds migrate here from Scandinavia and Russia because we have a milder winter, okay. and I mean they fly thousands and thousands of miles. And, I mean, it just seems sick that these, these birds can be shot for sport. I mean, you know, it's even worse coming when they're migrating birds from Africa. Um, for instance, a statistic I read recently that um, one million turtle doves are shot every year in Spain as they migrate from Africa up to uh, southern Europe and into uh, Britain oh, and Ireland. Okay. Yeah, so much so that actually in Britain now there's less than 2,000 breeding pairs and we get just a couple of them mostly down on the southwest coast along Cherkin Island and places like that. But, I mean, the the other problem with, with shooting, like, for instance, what's inside in the shot is, is lead. So this lead, mm. you know, it falls from the sky into the ground, contaminates the, the ground soil. But as well as that, then, birds that are shot that may not be collected by the hunter or the dog lie there on the ground and, and then we have the likes of these beautiful raptors that would eat these because they're carrying and they're ingesting the meat that contains lead shot which poisons them thereafter. Okay, so I, I just I just can't yeah, I know it's, it's a lot of stuff I didn't know either, yeah. So I mean, for instance, that in, in the case of the turtle dove, there's been a ninety eight percent reduction in their numbers since nineteen sixty in, in Britain and Ireland. That's just scandalous. Again, this is just for sport. I'm, I'd be like most people. I'd have no problem whatsoever with clay pigeon shooting. I mean, it is a sport after mm. all. But I think if a lot of shooters realise what they're actually blasting out of the sky, I mean, they, they shoot swallows in Malta and Italy as they fly and migrate. It's just crazy. But, but a lot of people even in Ireland that shoot, if they realise how in danger these birds are and you know how magnificent they are. And I mean, the UN came out recently with a report on habitat loss. There are so many things in the world that are scary, but I mean, mm-hmm. we have to be able to do something about some of them. And I just think that shooting should be made kind of a socially unacceptable activity at this stage. You know, I mean, other than that, I'm not really against anyone enjoying themselves, but if they only just realise these beautiful species. So that it's open, it's open season, to use that phrase. For the month of yeah. September, it's open season on the red grouse. From the 4th of September till the end of January, it's it's open season for mallard teal, gadwall, widgeon pintail, shoveler, scalp, tufted duck, the poshar, the golden eye, the golden plover, the snipe and the jack snipe. That's on the 1st of yeah. September to the 31st of January. From the 1st of November, Tuesday last, to the end of January, it's open season for red-legged partridge, cock pheasant, woodcock and wood pigeon. From the 15th, uh, sorry, from the 1st of September to the 15th of October, and thereafter from uh, to the end of January, uh, you, it's open season on Canada geese. Jeez, yeah, I didn't now, is, know that either. Is Canada geese Brent geese? Uh, I, again, I'm, I wouldn't okay, comment maybe, that. Because Dublin, Dublin City Council basically said that you cannot build in St. Anne's Park in Dublin because of the Brent geese, but it's open season at the minute 
And Canada, yeah. you can shoot Canada geese out of the sky. You can shoot grey le- leg geese. Yeah. You can shoot the, mean, the ruddy duck. Yeah. And as for I mean, as for the poor hare, it's open yeah. season. The only part of the country where you can't go out and kill the poor hare between the 26th of September and the beginning of uh, March is excluding the following townlands in Wexford, North Sea, East Slob, North West Slob, Big Island, Beggarin Island and the Rave. That's all around the, the, slob, the wetlands there. And so it's open season on a lot of birds and a lot of animals. Well, that's Declan there. Then Gun Club member Shane called Joe. How are you, Shane? Have you, uh, no, I'm it's, grand. it's open season from the 1st of November, I'd say, on pheasants. Have you, yeah. been, have you been out? Oh, I was out on Tuesday, yeah. Took a day off work. And did you shoot many pheasants? No, no, and in the gun club, you can only shoot cocks. Okay, well, ta- well, tell us to what... two boards, right? Okay. Um, if you enjoy seeing pheasants around the country, yeah. thank the gun club, because without us, they wouldn't be there. All right? Okay, tell The gun us. club, we aren't just dedicated to this. Like, people think it's just all about killing, killing boards or killing animals. In the gun club, yeah. we promote and encourage farmers in the, in the areas of our gun clubs to leave set-aside land for the pheasants to have cover, what we call cover crops, so they can get food from it, they can hide in it, and reproduce um, pheasants for the following year. Okay? Okay. But that doesn't just benefit pheasants. All them different boards and animals that you have just been talking about, it benefits yeah. them too. Okay. Right? Um, the turtle dove that the other chap has been on about, yeah. um, they're not legal to shoot here in Ireland. We don't shoot them. Okay. We shoot wood pigeon and you can shoot feral pigeon and that's it. Okay. So, and then you're talking about swallows. Well, I don't know any country where it's legal to shoot swallows or Swiss Mm. or any of them. Um, But it is legal here at the minute, Shane, to shoot. Mal, I know you don't, did you? Mallard, teal, gadwall, widgeon, pintage, shoveler, scalp, tufted duck, Poshard, you know, golden eye, golden plover, the snipe and the jack snipe, the cock pheasant, uh, the woodcock and the wood pigeon, and the, the God help him, the red legged partridge. Did you shoot anything on Tuesday, Shane? Um, no, I didn't shoot anything. I there's 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 certain like the strict kind of rules of what you can and can't do. Okay, and then you also have then like just the, each each club has their own kind of variation of rules and and regulations. So. There's also kind of just being ethical, right? Yeah. You don't you don't shoot, but you're not going to eat, okay? And okay. then you only, you only shoot what you what you can hit. So during the summer and the off season, the clubs would run clay pigeon shoots, okay. and so you, you 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 either get a better shot or you, you learn what your what your limits are, right? So, but there's plenty of boards up around me. I didn't shoot any of them because looks are just too far, or, okay. or they're out, they're out my capabilities. Well, did you take a pot my shot friend, or anything? What's that? Did you take a shot at anything? No, no, it didn't okay. fire a shot. And what, now, type, what, friend, type of, what type of gun do you have? It's a shotgun. You can only shoot them with a shotgun. Okay, okay. so what's in the shot? Just for us city slickers. What, what well, is I'm, it? I'm, what's I'm in the shotgun? Dublin, I'm from Dublin. Okay, myself. fair play. Well, what comes out well, of a shotgun? Well, Stupid it's, question. Um, no, well, it's just like you can get a single double barrel side by side over and under or semi-auto. They're all different types, but then they're just... The cartridges would would be in them would be like it depends on the the size of lead or steel. What a lot of clubs now are doing is we're converting from from lead over to steel, which is at a great expense to the shooter. Not only because the price of steel is more expensive than lead, yeah. but then you also have to upgrade. You have to have your gun sent off and be scrapped, 
and then get a new gun, which is what's called steel-proof. That isn't law. That isn't required by law to do okay. that. But a lot of shooters in Ireland are doing that for the benefit of wildlife. Because you, you because of why? Because we're, we're being ethical. We're because, being ethical. Yeah, but what, what's the problem with the lead? Well, the... Um, what you say is that the, if, say for argument's sake, the, like the, the, the other chap there, he was saying well, the, the lead lands on Declan, the ground. Yeah, yeah. Declan, sorry, Declan was saying that uh, it could yeah. be harmful to, to birds of prey. So, um, so you agree, so you recognise that? Yeah, we recognise that. So you're that. doing we, something about it? We, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're making the moves to do these things before it comes, because, before we're being made to do it. Because we're, we're, we're ethical, we're, we, we understand, mm-hmm. we're more what, in touch with Shane, wildlife. But Shane, it sounds like it sounds, it sounds like your gun club doesn't go out with guns. You go out waving feathers or something at the board. When is well, the when is the last who, time? Who, you sh- who said that? No, I'm just saying you, the impression you're given. When is the last time you shot? You are a gun club. When is, oh, well, that's fine. Oh, no, it's well, totally like, legal. You, when is the last oh, yeah. time you shot a board? Um, two two three weeks ago. Okay. I, shot, I was shooting pigeons for a farmer. Okay. Shooting feral pigeons are coming in. And they're absolutely destroying his air crop. And how many, so, did you, many did you pop, do you know? Uh, it was 55 or 56. Not one was wasted. Not Nothing was left behind the field. And the only thing you'd know that, that I was there was a bit of flattened grass. That's Shane on the live line with Joe Duffy. And in the afternoon, singer Roisin Murphy was chatting to Catherine Thomas. Roisin Murphy, how is it going? It's going very well. Good. How's it going there? Yeah, all good, all good. A uh, little gloomy here in Dublin today, but you know what? We uh, After a tune like that, it's got us in good form. And uh, that is, uh, that's from your album Roisin Machine, which was released in 2020. Loads of great disco vibes, which everybody was kind of craving and missing yeah. back then because it was at that time when none of us could go dancing. Yeah, yeah. It was weird times, wasn't it? It, um, was. it was kind of weirdly good to put records out in that time because people really needed music, you know? I feel like people really, when they loved something, they really, really loved it, you know? Mm. So mm. it was kind of, it was kind of like, it got a lot of love, the music that was put out mm. in that time. And huge critical acclaim as well. I mean, you do, you've always done your thing. You are your own woman. Um, your fans love you. You love your fans. Um, but that album was really critically acclaimed. Do you do you read the critics' reviews? Do you care? Yeah, it's nice. It's nice if they're saying something nice, of mm. course. Um, and it helps shift a few units, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> but come so, here. You're coming. Uh, you're coming back to entertain us. You're coming back to enchant and get us all dancing in. 2023, we're excited about it. So tell us the details. Well, I'm coming back to play a lovely big show. I think in, in Trinity they do special a series of events and, mm. and concerts there. And uh, we're playing on the 2nd of July there. And oh, I can't wait. I mean, I've I played the last time I played there, the, the roof nearly came off with the amount of excitement going on. It was fantastic. Mm. We played in um, the Olympia not yeah. too long ago. And like that was one of the fastest selling gigs in Ireland in the last few years. And what a venue to watch somebody like you, who's such a visual performer, just kind of mm. rock it out so I can... But that's why the roof nearly came off the place. Oh, God, it was it was tremendous, yeah. 
It really was. The, mm. the reception from the crowd was the best. And come here, so you're, you're from Arklow. You're based in the UK a long time now. So I know it's it's probably a bit of an obvious question. But do you love coming back to gig here in front of the Irish crowd? Yeah. I think everybody loves coming back to play to the Irish crowd or everybody just loves going to Ireland to play music. It's such a special place for music. Yeah, yeah. Has it been, um, I mean, when you, like, I, I remember listening to you in an interview saying that music, when you were a kid, music was in the house. It was like every Irish household, you were dragged up to do the song. Um, and that was yeah. your upbringing. Yeah, that was definitely my, the start of it all. Mm. You know, it was just hearing songs everywhere I went. Everybody sang songs. Everybody had 10 or 100 songs that they knew by heart, you know, and I felt like it was a bit like growing up in a in a, in a musical, an MGM musical. Everybody, anybody could just burst out into song at any time. <laughs> what was what <laughs> yeah. was your party piece? Oh, well, it started <laughs> with um, Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. Oh, wow. I, I, knocked, I knocked their socks off with it, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> That's a good one. And then I got into the jazzier stuff, like, you know, the sort of Ella Fitzgerald type stuff. And yeah, that was sort of soothed my voice. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, but I wasn't great for doing the singing in front of everyone. I used to have to run away when they run after me and then tell me Nan I was going to die and put oh. loads of pressure on me to sing in front of them. Roisin Murphy talking to Catherine Thomas in the afternoon. And on today with Philip Edger Hayes, the first ever Chinese-Irish cookbook, Quan Jake Chan was talking to Philip about his new book, Walk. The first ever Irish Chinese yeah. cookbook. Well, there you go. Let's go right back to the beginning. Presumably when you arrived here, you mm. didn't know how to cook, did you? I don't know. Well, I arrived here when I was eight, so yeah, yeah I, I probably I learned how to wash dishes and I learned how to do rice, you know. Basically, uh, I went into my uncle's uh, Chinese restaurant and started helping out there, you know. So that's how I started uh, learning the business. But within five years, wasn't it? I mean, by the tender age of 13, yeah, yeah. you were able to run the shop by yourself. That's it, yeah. I gave my uncle some time off as well, like, you know, on his days off and that. So um, I was able to cook most of the dishes in the, in the Chinese takeaway, do the rice and, yeah, prep all the stuff as well. Yeah, so I was kind of, I was kind of had a gift for it, you know, so. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you, were you copying what you saw going on or did you have an intuition about what the process was and how it should end up tasting? Yeah, I think um, obviously a copy is looking, you know what I mean? Um, I look by learning things, but I also had a touch for food as well, you know, so and the taste. So I think my palate was very good. So I can recreate uh, flavours very easily, you know, so. But also, you know, you're, you're preparing an awful lot of meals, you're spinning an awful lot of plates yeah. <laughs> in the air at any one time. Yeah. Did you have a natural knack for that? Because, I mean, that is something that characterises your career. You've, you've never taken an easy option here. Yeah, so um, I, I think I enjoy the hustle and bustle of the kitchen, you know. So I enjoy the just adrenaline, like, you know, of uh, service. And um, also with the orders all coming in and especially with a, a takeaway and restaurant like that, like you get both sides, you know what I mean? So there's orders from the restaurant and orders from the takeaway. So it's quite busy when, you know, the busy time, the service time comes on. So I, I learned at a young age to can really enjoy that kind of adrenaline, uh, you know, the rush of uh, service. And that's I think that's what kept me going through. Yeah. There must also have been an awful lot of drudgery in that, though, Quante. I mean, I, I think 
specifically things like, you know, peeling the tiger prawn. <laughs> That's now, I mean, it, that, yeah. <laughs> nobody enjoys that. I know, yeah. Back then, like, um, chicken wings was a thing. I, I remember uh, peeling chicken wings because uh, uh, we didn't waste anything because uh, we cooked uh, all our chickens from raw, you know. So, uh, and the chicken wings was uh, used for uh, the chicken fried rice, you know. So I was going through containers and containers of chicken wings. You couldn't sell a chicken wing back then. Now it's chicken wings everywhere, you know, yeah. so, yeah. Before long, then, it was obviously time for you to spread your wings. Where did you go to next? Um, you know what? Um, I didn't know. Um, obviously, my family wanted me. Uh, my uncle and my granddad always wanted me to stay in the business. I think that's why they got me in the business, because as an immigrant, um, you always kind of, this is the path you're going to take, you know what I mean? And um, I, I was really good at art. Uh, I got honours in art and uh, my leaving cert and I wanted to do uh, art in Derry um, just outside uh, Bunkrana but um, I ended up uh, one of the friends says I'm going to do chefing in college and I was like oh you can train as a chef in college you know and that's You mean you literally didn't know that you I could? I didn't know that you can train as a chef you know what I mean so uh, and then I says okay I must apply for that and I got into Kelly Beggs in uh, County Donegal and done a three years um, classical French cookery course And was it straight from Kelly Beggs to Le Crivain? Uh, straight from Kelly Beggs down to Wineport Large and then to Lecker Van, yeah. So, and then most of the really good restaurants around uh, Dublin, so, yeah. What did they make of you back home in Buncrana in the Chinese takeaway going to somewhere like <laughs> Lecter Van? Did they say, oh my God, this child has got notions? <laughs> I, d I, I don't think my uncle kind of had an idea, like, you know, what uh, what kind of food that was at anyway, you know, so... But uh, I really enjoyed uh, the fine dining side of it, the finesse and, you know, the the articulate, uh, you know, different types of flavours and cooking styles, you know what I mean? I really enjoy that. And I forgot uh, Chinese cooking for a long time. Really? Know, so, okay. Yeah. Why then did you go from posh restaurants to hotels <laughs> where you're throwing out the 200 plate wedding dinners, which must be, um, yeah, you know, yeah. Pretty taxing stuff. Yeah, because uh, you know what? I was uh, really wanted to learn about uh, the whole wide side of our industry because there's loads. Of, it's not just fine dining. There's hotel work and there's like a private catering and, you know, corporate dining as well. So I wanted to learn everything across this, across the whole industry. So I'd done all that, you know. Kwan J Chan from Today with Philip Badger Hayes. And that's it for Playback Daily. So mind yourself till next time.